Today on Ag News Daily. One of the advantages to having a uh, centralized, you know, EPD calculation system is that you can compare those EPDs uh, across breeds. Today on Ag News Daily. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ashton Carr on the podcast today with Delaney Howell. Delaney, it's already Thursday. It's almost the weekend. I tell you what, this week has flown by. It certainly has. I felt like the beginning of the week was creeping by and now here we are at the end of the week and we are almost to the beginning of September which, of course, begins our new marketing year for purchases. Specifically, I want to talk here about purchases coming or made, I should say, by China. The USDA's daily grain sale report released Thursday today noted another very large purchase by China For U.S. corn, specifically here, we're talking an additional 747,000 metric tons of U.S. corn for delivery in that 2020-2021 marketing year, which begins September 1st, which is next Tuesday, I believe. And they also reported an additional 140,000 metric tons of U.S. corn to unknown destinations. So this overnight purchase of three quarters of a million ton shows us that not only is China committed to working as best as they can to fill phase one commitments, but it's also telling us that the demand is there and we are at an affordable and reliable option, according to U.S. Grains Council President and CEO Ryan Legrand. So China continues to come to the table. Good news for U.S. producers. However, I want to counter that news with a little bit of a reality check here because USDA also put out forecasts for export numbers here for the 2021 fiscal year. They said overall numbers for agricultural exports in 2021 should be up to about $140.5 billion, which is a $5.5 billion increase from 2020. And of course, that fiscal year starts October 1st. However, they followed that up by saying that U.S. agricultural exports to China are forecast at just $18.5 billion in fiscal year 2021. That is up for 2021 compared to where we're at here for 2020. But if you think about it, that phase one trade deal is supposed to be $40 billion over 2020 and 2021. And currently, based off of those projections, we would only be sitting at about 24, excuse me, 34 billion dollars. So significantly lower than where we should be for that phase one trade deal. Some almost 50 billion dollars difference for what China should be spending as per that phase one trade agreement. So we'll continue watching that, but China is definitely not picking up pace here on exports like they should be doing as per their phase one trade agreement. Well, like you said, Delaney, we will keep an eye out on that phase one trade agreement, but I am currently keeping an eye out on Hurricane Laura that just hit land, and we might be seeing a little bit more of it than you will be, Delaney, being down here in Texas, but 62 or 600, excuse me, 620,000 people were under mandatory evacuation for this hurricane, and oil rigs and refineries were forced to shut down in preparation 
because it was a category four hurricane, but once it hit landfall, it was downsized to a category two. And the storm itself was over 600 miles long. People were expecting unprecedented damages to to land once this hurricane hit and winds reached uh, I saw 110 but I also saw 120 miles per hour and obviously there were very large amounts of rain and water which resulted in flooding of course and tornadoes were said to be spawned from the hurricane and it was obviously very devastating to Louisiana but from what I heard at least down in Galveston didn't really see too much damage, not as much as it could have been, but we could see effects from the rain all the way up to Arkansas. Two extension specialists from the University of Arkansas saw, said Hurricane Laura is coming at the worst possible time for the state's rice and corn farmers. Jared Hark says a rice harvest is just getting started and the majority of the crop has been made and is just waiting to dry down for harvest. So we will continue to keep an eye out because this hurricane did just hit late last night, early this morning, and see if those rains and wind gusts reach all the way up there and impact that rice and corn crop. And have you guys had any, I know you're in West Te Texas there being in Lubbock, but have you guys had any rain yet from this uh, tropical storm? No, it's actually a beautiful day from where I'm sitting in my desk. There's really not a cloud in the sky. I haven't checked my weather app or anything to see if we will be getting any rain. I don't really anticipate much, but around north and east Texas, maybe a little bit of central Texas, they're definitely going to uh, get some rain. I just don't know about all the way up here in the panhandle. All right. Well, you, you can be our resident weather advisor for the next few days, Ashton, as you uh, continue to watch that. But yeah, I tell you what, those storm conditions, 120 miles per hour. I mean, I, I think that was pretty close to the conditions we had here a couple of weeks ago with that really bad windstorm that struck across Iowa. So definitely a lot of inclement weather going on this time of year. And that certainly added fuel to the soybean fire today. And I want to get to that here in just one minute. But Ashton, I want to follow up with something that we talked about yesterday in the podcast, more specifically, filling our listeners in in case they didn't catch that entire interview with Q&A yesterday with Secretary Purdue. He hinted pretty strongly that farmers might be receiving a second round of CFAP payments sometime after Labor Day. He said that during that news conference you were a part of, Ashton, that the USDA has about $14 billion available from funds allocated by Congress to the Commodity Credit Corporation, which started back in July. And he said a second round of payments would come at a time when agricultural producers continue to experience the fallout from COVID-19 shutdown this spring. So he said they're still taking applications, you know, for the first round of CFAP uh, funding. And as of August 24th, they said they've paid out just about $9 billion of that total $19 billion in relief. So still about $10 billion to pay out there. But it does sound like there is the strong potential for another round of payments coming. So we will continue to keep an eye on that story. But Ashton, I tell you what, I am all out of news. What else do you have going on today that our listeners need to be aware of? 
Well, I just have one more bit of news, and it's also concerning relief, but not for COVID-19. It's actually for the wildfires that are spreading across California. The Community Alliance with Family Farmers relaunched a fire relief fund to support smaller scale farms impacted by the latest disaster in California. The grassroots initiative aims to fill the gaps of government aid and insurance, which doesn't always reach all farms or account for the widespread losses including property, equipment, crops, and markets. Many farms across California were already hit hard by heat waves, a looming drought, and market disruptions, of course, caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. And Paul Towers, CAFF's executive director, was quoted as saying, these fires arrived at peak growing season. Some folks lost everything overnight. Others are scrambling to evacuate their animals. Meanwhile, the rest are still busy in the field, making sure we have food tomorrow. Harvesting crops can't wait. It's important to keep in mind, keep that in mind while most of us shelter safely indoors. So hoping that those farmers and ranchers out in California are staying safe while also trying to protect their crop and their animals as these wildfires continue to spread. And hopefully this relief fund can reach some of those smaller scale farms that have been impacted. Yeah, I tell you what, this is that time of year when things are starting to look pretty hairy when it comes to the weather scene. We've got, of course, the derecho storm that came through. We've got tropical storms down there around you or hopefully don't get too far up there by you. And then we've got wildfires going on. So it is a tough time of year for folks. And you know what recognized that, as I mentioned there, was the soybean industry. This is kind of make or break it time for the soybean crop. That coupled with these massive purchases coming in from China, both in corn and soybeans, really sparked things higher today. Starting off here, taking a look at the corn crop, the September contract closed up three and three quarters cents to end at three forty four and a quarter. The December up four cents to end the day at three fifty eight and a quarter. In the soybean pits, huge gains today. I tell you what, this is the first time we've seen prices like this since quite some time, thinking almost um, pre-trade war with China. September closed up 17 and a half cents today to close at 9.37, even while the November put on 17 cents to close at 9.41 and a quarter. Wheat was also a winner today in the markets as the Chicago September contract closed up 11 cents to end at 5.43 even. The December up 11 and a half cents to close at 5.51 and a quarter. In the livestock pits, red on the cattle complex as the October contract down 85 cents today to close at 106.15. The December shed $1.17 to close at 109.35. The feeder cattle pits, the September contract shed 55 cents on the day to close at 41.22 and a half, while the October lost 77 and a half cents to close at 141.15. Lean hogs had some strength today as the October contract climbed up 17 and a half cents to close at 55.72 and a half. The December added 25 cents to the day to close at 56.57 and a half. And taking a look at the dairy class three milk futures, they also saw weakness today as the September contract shed 33 cents to close at 15.50. The October closed 19 cents lower to end at 17.35. Without further ado, Ashton, remind us who we're talking to for today's interview. Today, we are talking to Ryan Bolt from the Red Angus Association, and he is talking to us about a really cool genetic project that the organization is a part of.
Well, today we are chatting with Ryan Boltz, the director of breed improvement for the Red Angus Association. But Ryan, before we talk about that, you also do a little farming yourself on the side. Yeah, yeah. Um, my uh, grandpa was actually a, a sheep extension specialist in Idaho, and and uh, he has uh, since retired from doing that, and we've kind of taken some of that over from him. So that's what I like to do for fun on the weekends, I guess. So you farm sheep on the side, but you work with the Red Angus Association. Explain to me what the thought process was there and what you do as the director of breed improvement. Yeah, so um, you know, I I got an undergraduate animal science degree from uh, Texas Tech University, and uh, following finishing up there, I was uh, looking at at going to grad school, and so uh, one of my opportunities was to uh, study breeding and genetics at Colorado State University, and so I uh, took that opportunity, and and while I was there, I my master's project actually. Uh, focused on looking at some of the genetic relationships uh, between fertility traits and and other production traits in in red Angus, and so that's kind of how I, I guess, got started on on the red Angus path. And uh, a couple of years ago, a job opportunity opened up for me to become the director of breed improvement, and I was uh, lucky enough to land that. So. Well, Ryan, I just want to say I am a fellow Red Raider. I actually just started um, my last semester at Tech, so Reckham, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm also interested really in genetics. I'm an animal science minor, so I want to kick things over to the International Genetic Solutions. I understand that the Red Angus Association is involved with that group, so why don't you give us a little bit of background information about what IGS is? Yeah, sure. So uh, IGS or International Genetic Solutions is a, a collaboration among breed associations and, and other industry groups. I think there's 19 total partners now. I may I may be a little off on that. It, it seems to, <laughs> to change. I can't quite keep up. But essentially what that is, is, is all these different breed associations from the U.S., Canada, and, and actually we've got, um, you know, some other associations from, uh, you know, across the globe submit their data into uh, one single genetic evaluation. And so that's actually run on a, a weekly basis. And we produce EPDs for uh, cavities, weight traits, carcass traits, and stability and docility. And we return those uh, results back weekly to each of those partners uh, for them to use, for their producers to use to make uh, selection decisions. And so one of the advantages to having a uh, centralized you know, EPD calculation system is that you can compare those EPDs uh, across breeds. And so, you know, for example, if you wanted to compare a, a Red Angus sire to a, to a Semmental sire, you know, you can compare the, those EPDs directly across to one another. And so, you know, really the, the goal behind IGS since its inception was just to try to make tools that were easier for the commercial cattlemen. You know, it doesn't take a lot of extra work to compare EPDs and, and really trying to promote crossbreeding and, and using the breeds that, that fit your operation best. 
And with your partnership with IGS, have you noticed that more people are employing red Angus genetics into their herds? Yeah, we've actually seen a, a, a really big, or we've, we're starting to see a big increase in, in the use of, of red Angus. And, you know, we, we track a lot of, of different things here at the association. You know, we've seen our, we, we actually do a, a system called THR. So our, uh, our pricing is inventory based. And so we, we kind of know how many cows are, are registered with the association each year. And, you know, we, we've definitely seen an, an uptrend in, in that over the last, you know, several years. And, you know, one of the advantages to, to IGS as well is we get to, to capture that data and information in our EPD calculations when red angus are, are used in different breeds so you know for example if someone makes a, a balancer in the gelby association and, and uses a red angus bull to do that that data feeds directly into our uh, epd calculations and and makes those calculations more accurate on that red angus sire i think we looked up oh uh, about a month ago or so and and we were seeing about Two million or so additional records coming from the other breed associations outside of Red Angus, just you know that for animals that were sired by Red Angus animals. So, you know, a major increase in in the amount of data and information that we that we have to uh, make our genetic predictions as accurate as possible. With so many different breed associations and organizations being involved with IGS, I assume that's a lot of data to really keep organized. So how do you guys manage all of that data and put it together so it's easy for the organizations as well as those commercial producers that are looking at those EPDs? Yeah, so so IGS has, um, we actually reached this year, we, we have about 19 million animals that we calculate EPDs on uh, it, across our, I guess, in the evaluation week. And so, you know, that's a, that's a big job. And so one of the, one of the biggest parts of that is, is making sure that, that cross-reference, cross-referencing of the IDs is, is, I guess, upkept. And so we do a, you know, a really diligent job of, of trying to make sure that, you know, if a red Angus sire is used in, in one of another databases that we cross-reference that information so it all gets tied back to, to the same animal. And that's a that's a constantly ongoing process, but you know, the, the databases are, are pretty smart and can help us identify those things and then just, you know, each association as they take that information in, you know, does a really good job of, of cross-referencing that information. So from my understanding, you guys are just looking at EPDs, is that correct? Yeah, so we, so yeah, IGS um, does calculate, you know, EPDs for, for all of these different breed associations. And, and each of the associations, you know, can offer other tools that are, that are not, um, you know, available through IGS. So we have a, a couple of EPDs uh, that we don't get calculated through IGS, but, um, you know, do make those available to our members as well. Um, you know, IGS also has, 
you know, different educational type programs that we'll try to do to to bring members of, of each of these different associations together, um, you know, for, for a lot of those educational type um, things. And, and we have, you know, a monthly um, webinar that, that we put on, we call them bull sessions, um, which just has, you know, different information, anything from like, what data to collect or, or updates to the genetic evaluation that, that we make available for anyone. So for the future of IGS, do you, do you see them evaluating more birth defects or any other information that has to deal with genetics or anything like that? Or is it just strictly going to be collecting EPD data? Yeah. So, so really our main focus is going to be EPD. And in terms of, you know, genetic defects, that's that's something that, you know, more each individual uh, association kind of tracks and, and monitors, um, mostly because there's, you know, different defects in, in each uh, in each breed, potentially. And so, you know, that's kind of more something that that gets handled at the, the individual association level. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, if there was ever the need for data across associations that, that we could, you know, potentially pool together in IGS and, and try to figure something that out for from a research standpoint. Well, Ryan, this has been really fascinating stuff. Uh, before we let you go, those EPDs and, and the IGS databases you're talking about, are those publicly available for commercial herds? And if so, where can they find out information to look at different breeds and how they compare? Yeah, so um, each individual breed association um, that that participates in IGS will, will have um, EPDs available on um, any animal registered within that uh, breed available on their website. Usually, there's usually some sort of animal search function that you can go in and, and look at different animals that are uh, associated with that that individual breed and, and find that information that EPD information. Fantastic. Well, Ryan, well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great stuff. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. A gasoline-powered engine with a broken spark plug wire may idle fine, but buck and break up under load. This can lead you down the wrong diagnostic path. If the break in the wire requires less energy to bridge than the gap of the spark plug under load, then the engine at light load will be indifferent to the failed wire but it will become quickly apparent once a load is applied. You can check the wire with an ohmmeter, but make sure you move it around while testing. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles where steel and soil meet.
Very happy to have a fellow Red Raider on the podcast and very excited to have heard about IGS. I am very interesting, very interested in genetics. So it was a very great conversation to be a part of. And I'm excited to see just how many producers actually use this tool. Absolutely. It is a great tool for those commercial cattle folks. So be sure to check that out with, it sounds like any breed association really has it, but of course we were talking specifically there with the Red Angus Association. But we also have great resources and content on the Global Ag Network website. You can check it out anytime at globalagnetwork.com. Feel free to also stop by Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and hit up Ag News Daily at Ag News Daily on all three platforms. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.